1: looking for truth from God's word that you can understand and apply to your life? You'll find it today on Make It Clear with Dr. Stan Pons. Listen now as Stan makes it clear.
2: As we begin this message today, on the little notes that I provided for you, I would like for you to write down someone right now that needs special prayer. Now let me warn you though, When you put this person's name down, I don't want you to merely to pray for them because they've lost a job or they got a bad report from the doctor or their child didn't come home last night because they're living in rebellion or something. I'm not talking about those kinds of people with those kinds of problems. The reason I'm not is because all throughout Scripture when Paul was praying... And when the Lord taught us to pray, he never said pray that someone would get well necessarily or someone would get a job or they'd buy a house or some good things would happen to them. He prayed a much deeper prayer. Then something else that really intrigued me is that when Paul wrote this to the Ephesians, I'm praying for you, he didn't just say, I'm praying for you and then blast them with a lot of truth. He said, I'm praying for you and here's what I'm praying for. So I appreciate those that says, Pastor, I'm praying for you. But those that say, Pastor, I'm praying for you, but here's the things that I'm praying for. And they list them out. So maybe you have someone that you've written their name down that are going through some things that you want to pray for them. But if you do choose to say, I'm praying for you, why don't you tell them what you're praying for? And may I suggest that you use the portion of scripture and just kind of make it contemporary for them so they can understand where we're going with that. Another thought, and that is that the Lord decided to not only have... Us know that Paul prayed for the Ephesians, but he actually then wrote down that prayer request in a letter to them, and that was inspired by the Lord. And so, since all the Word of God is the Word of God, and that He put it down there, then I would say that I don't have to follow some other person's written prayer journal. I can look right into the prayer book of the Bible and say, "All right, well, how should I pray?" And I have a Holy Spirit-inspired prayer that is actually coming from the mind of God, written in in the Word of God for us to follow today. So I hope that maybe as I begin this message, we might be ramped up a little bit to pray a little bit more specifically, take a little bit more time, go a little bit deeper for the people that we love. And I believe that the end game would be the desire for Paul was that these people, based on the result of this prayer, would have a deeper intimacy with the Lord, thus a changed life. So if you really want to make it practical, it's not so much that they get over their disease or they get some money or they have a better house or something. What we want to do is we want to pray that their lives would be changed. And maybe through that changed life, we might have a residual effect by having some other things go better for them in this life. But right now, instead of praying for those temporal things that could change at a moment's notice, let's pray for those things that are much deeper. And so that's why I've given you this outline so that you can go through it, study it for yourself, get out a commentary, and just go as deeply as you'd like so you could understand this great material. Let me give you a brief review for just a moment of the two prayer requests that are found in the book of Ephesians. The first prayer that was found is found in verses 17 through verse 19 of chapter 1. And it's what we call the prayer of enlightenment, the prayer of enlightenment, that these people would see these things, they would truly understand these things. Now, very similar, you're going to see it in the second request, but it's more than just seeing something. The passage we're going to study today is found in Ephesians three, thirteen through 21, and it's going to be about the prayer of what we call enablement or the prayer of doing, enablement. So he's praying that they would understand these truths so that they would begin to do something with these truths, that there would be a particular change in it. So if you have your Bibles, let me begin reading in verse 13 of Ephesians chapter 3. Ephesians chapter 3. Actually, let's look in verse 14. It says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father from whom every family in heaven on earth derives its name. And I've given you two different translations there in your outline, and I'm using the new American one. It says, For this reason. So how do I begin praying? There's really three things that we have to have in our perspective if we're going to start praying for that person that you wrote in the margin of your notes. First of all, we want to pray with the right reason. In other words, why would I want to really pray? What would be my right reason? That phrase in there that says, for this, he says. All right, that for this is actually going back to the chapter 1, chapter 2, and the early part of chapter 3. And it's really, if you took all of those verses of those two and a half chapters that he's doing here, three and a half chapters, you'll understand that what's happening here is this. He's now seeing the awesomeness of God's word. And so what's motivating us is that we have fallen in love with God's Word so much That's what's motivating us is that we want the people for whom we're praying to really have an engagement with God's Word. We are motivated by our own love and um, benefits that we've received from God's Word. I know that uh, my wife is really special at this. When she has her quiet time, it's interesting that as she does, she loves the Lord and he lo- she loves the word so much that she'll f- see something in there that we're going through as a couple or as a family or me or whatever. And she'll say, oh, Stan." Now, she doesn't call me pastor, okay? She doesn't even call me king. I should just stand, all right? <laughs> and what she does is she'll share that verse with me. And I have to tell you, my wife, sweet lady that she is, because she trusted Christ earlier, she's had a love affair with God's word, knowing that that's the only way she'll accurately know God. So when I'm hearing from her from the word, it's because she's a woman that I know really deeply loves God's word. So for you, if you want to help someone else, make sure that you have a proper love affair with God's word. But also this for what this right motive is because of the awesomeness of the greatness of God. When you're reading through Ephesians, and if you really want to read this passage that I'm covering today, in the context, you want to read all the verses before it, all the verses after it, and what you will see is the word of God and the emphasis of it, but also the awesomeness of God. So, in other words, it's not looking at the Bible as nothing more than a great book filled with godly principles which it is, but it's also a book that's telling us about the awesomeness of God. So in other words, when you want to pray for someone, you are motivated because of your love for the Lord, your love for the word, and your love for that other person, and you are so excited about the Lord, you're so excited about the word, and you want that person not to fall in love with you, but to fall in love with the Lord. And watch this. If you have that right upward and inward approach, that will sustain you because some of us, we're going to have to pray for the people over a long period of time. It's not a little one-time prayer and bingo, their light comes on and all of a sudden they're walking with God. So what's going to sustain us is our own intimacy with the Lord. So we have to pray with the right motives. Let me pause for a moment. Somewhere in the margin of your notes, I think you'll understand what I'm about to say. How can we, with a proper attitude, proper motive really pray for someone else to be able to experience these truths that we're praying about for them if we haven't already begun to experience them for ourselves you see what i'm trying to say it's like praying that someone else would have this but we haven't really got there ourselves Ah, that sounds pretty hypocritical doesn't it so while we're talking about praying these types of prayer requests for those people Why don't you look at these and say, Lord, am I there? Maybe I need to pray for myself. Lord, help me do this. Help me believe this. Help me understand this. Help me engage this. And when you do that, it's going to change you. So all of a sudden, your prayers come out with more passion, and probably it'll be answered. And the reason they'll be answered is because your heart is clean before the Lord. So we want to pray with the right motive. The second is to pray with the right attitude, with the right attitude. And again, that's very similar to the motive, but with the right attitude. And the way I can maybe discern what that right attitude might be is by looking at the little posture that we see in the mind of Paul as he writes this. Go back to verse 14. It says, For this reason, I bow my knees before the Father. I like that. I bow my knees before the Father. Now, let me make this clear. Some of you are reading that and you're probably going to extrapolate that that must mean that God wants me to pray on my knees. Well... I'd like to tell you that that is a great thing to do, and we're going to talk a little bit about that. But I want you to know that this was the posture that Paul used to pray this prayer for those people at that time. So all he's doing here is modeling them, before them, how he prayed. So praying on your knees is not a bad posture to pray, but it is not restricted that that's the only way that you can pray. As I went through Scripture, I found multiple of ways to pray. I found one man praying unto the Lord, and he was so intense and passionate about it that he actually beat his chest while he was praying to the Lord. How many of you have done that this morning in your quiet time? All right, he did that. When I look at various people that I held in such high esteem, I was amazed at the different positions when they talked to God. One was Abraham. Abraham talked to God standing up, and when he did, he was really pleading with God, the angel of the Lord there, that he would deliver people out of Sodom and Gomorrah. Then I found of all people who you would think would be prostrate on the ground would be David. And I found him one time seated. And when he was sitting, not laying down, not raising up, just sitting down, and he was praising the Lord seated. So you can actually sit praising and praying to the Lord. And then I looked at the Lord, and if you'll remember right there at the very end as he's entering in that final passion of his life, it said he fell down on his face and he talked to God the Father. And so he did that. So I want you to know there are many different ways that you can pray. And probably the best way to pray is when you're seated in the car and you're about ready to have a wreck. Say, oh, God, save me. It doesn't matter whatever posture outwardly that you have. What really I believe he's speaking about here is more of a heartfelt attitude to the Lord. I bow my knees. Yeah, that's an outward sign. And we know people that did that in Scripture. But at the same time, it's this passion unto the Lord. Let me just read you some verses, okay? You can, don't have to turn there. Just listen to these. 1 Samuel sixteen seven talks about how we need to pray with tremendous passion unto the Lord, and how that it says, But the Lord said to Samuel, Don't look on the outward sign, but look on the inward part of a person's heart, so that our heart is right, and that Jesus, the Lord, looks on the heart and not on the outward sign. Another verse, Psalm ninety five, six and seven, says, Come, let us worship and bow down. Let us kneel before the Lord our Maker. For he is our God, and we are the people of his pasture and the sheep of his hand. Another verse is Ezra 9, 5, and 6 says, But at the evening offering, I rose from my humiliation, even with my garment and my robe torn, and I fell on my knees, and I stretched out my hands to the Lord, my God. And I said, Oh, my God, I am shamed. I am embarrassed to lift my face to you, my God. For our iniquities have risen above our heads, and our guilt has grown over even to the heavens." When was the last time that you felt so badly about your sins in general and your sins specifically, a hot temper, an ill-spoken word, an attitude of lust, bitterness and unforgiveness, greed, that you responded like they did? So again, as we come to the Lord, we want to really have the right reason, but we also want to have the right attitude of humility, intensity, as we come to the Lord. You know, there's some great men in history that prayed on their knees. Hudson Taylor, George Mueller, A.W. Tozier, And a number of years ago, I was in Chicago speaking and I... Uh, I Erwin Lutzer was in the group, and uh, I needed a ride to the airport, and he was so kind to take me, but I had to go by his house, and so I stopped by uh, Lutzer's house, and while I was in his car, and he didn't have a fancy schmancy car, just a car like we would have right here, very humble man, and so I began to really probe him with questions, that I said, I'm asking you questions you won't tell other people, and I won't tell you all the questions I asked, but one of the private ones I asked once he told me if I could tell you, I said, when you pray, how do you pray? Because I'm somewhat of a leader. He is a great international figure. I'm just a nobody. He's the sun. I'm a spark. I get that. But what do you do? Maybe I'm missing something. And he says, well, when I'm in my office and I'm having my quiet time, and he called it his study because he used his little office as a place to get along with God, all of his books and there. And he said, I lay down with my Bible in front of me. And on my elbows, I am pleading with God as I'm reading through scripture. Now here's Lutzer this big-name pastor of the famous historical Moody Church. Well, again, I don't know that you have to lay down, sit, kneel, raise, beat your chest as much as those are more outward expressions of an inward heart that is humble and passionate for the Lord. So when you begin to pray, you want to go through that. There's one more, and that's the right focus. Let's go back to the verse again. It says here, For this reason, right motive, I bow my knees, which would be the right attitude, Then it says, before the Father. We'll talk a little bit more about that, but I only want to bring this out, is that when you're praying, while you're praying for that person that you wrote in your notes, I want you to remember that you are talking to the God of the universe. You are talking to our Father, Abba, God, who loves us just the way we are. So our focus is not so much on our friend's need, nor so much on our family member or friend as a person but while we're praying, we are in an intimate relationship with God so we are focusing upon God and making sure that our prayer, watch this, would be a prayer that Jesus the Son would pray to the Father based on that person to whom or for whom we are praying rather and so we're thinking about that when we start thinking about how the Lord would respond to our prayer about that person and we understand it from Scripture then our prayers may take on a different kind of look, they may sound differently they'll be stated differently because now we're partnering we're immersing ourselves in father our father i'm praying about those people So all of a sudden, maybe what will come to our mind, first of all, is when I'm praying for that person, we might start thinking, what about sin in my own life? I'm asking for him, but I've got it in my own life, so I confess first. Maybe it's, Lord, I need to ask you for forgiveness because right now I am praying for this person. I know I should, so I'm doing it out of duty, but my attitude is still with a wall between me and that person, and I've got to work that out. So again, when we focus on the Lord, that will help us in our relational praying about and for other people. So that might help us. Well, with all of that in mind, the real question is, is uh, what are these three great prayer requests? And I've kind of put them in three in this package because that's how they're found. And I hope that maybe that you'll be blessed as well. So here's number one. We want to pray for them to have what we call inner strength, inner strength. Let's look at the verse here. As it goes on in verse 15, it talks about for whom all the, every family member in heaven and on earth drives its name. Verse 16 says that he would grant you according to the riches of his glory to be strengthened with power through his spirit in the inner man. In verse 17, it says so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And we'll stop there. That's all underneath prayer for the inner man. All right. Let's just uh, put out a, a situation here. Let's say you're praying for a friend that's going through some deep water in their life right now obviously we feel their pain, and sometimes we think the most compassionate thing we can do is to relieve them of the suffering. I get that. I don't want my kids to suffer. I don't want my wife to suffer, no matter what she might go through. I don't want my family members to suffer. And frankly, folks, I don't want any of you to go through suffering. So I would say, Lord, remove whatever that is that is causing you to suffer. That is a normal, natural response when we hear a baby cry. Okay, I get that. On the other hand, sometimes we run through life and we're trying to remove all those painful stimuli that's going into this person's life rather than maybe stepping back and not be a low-information prayer person. Maybe we need to go down one more step. Maybe a sovereign God has permitted those things to happen because they have chosen through bad choices to do certain things and they are now living the results of those wrong choices that they made. They have violated some biblical principle knowingly or maybe even ignorantly and ignorantly because knowingly they haven't been studying the Bible. And so now through these choices, they're having all this crud rain down on them. And so what we're doing is we're trying to say, Lord, remove all of this stuff when at the very moment God is permitting that to come into their life to be able to drive them to their knees for confession and forsaking of that sin to go on. Now, let me make this clear. So it's balanced. That doesn't mean every problem we go through is because we've done something that's wrong. So we have to be very careful and pray very gently and carefully while we do that. But at the same time, that's why it's not saying, Lord, remove this problem out of their life. Paul is saying, they all got problems. There's military people that are now trying to get their act straight on how they serve the government and still serve God. There are people that their husbands are lost in battle and now they're single parents and they're trying to make life out. They've got slavery going on and that's not going very well for them. We've been abandoned by our families for our faith and they're all suffering. So what do I pray? We pray, first of all, that they have the inner strength so that they can endure whatever they're going through with a spirit of tenacity, faith, courage, compassion, and cheerfulness while they're going through it. So when we're praying for those people, while we may want to pray that those obstacles that might be causing them pain would be removed, we don't want to pad that person's cell when God wants them to have that pain for that moment so that they then could go to the Lord more so they can have a deeper walk with God. So right now we're praying for, before we ask that to be removed, that the greatest thing is that they have a strengthened core about them, and that's what this passage is saying. So let me pick it apart just a little bit for you. So strength comes from, or where does it come? It comes according to the riches of the glory of the Lord. When I think of the glory of the Lord, that would be everything there would be about God, all of Him, every bit, all of His wealth, all in the glory of the Lord. I don't have time to unpack the whole issue of the glory of the Lord, Old Testament and New Testament, so I'm really simplifying it. So all of that. Now notice the phrase. It It doesn't say that they would have strength out of the glory of the Lord. It says all that riches... It's according to those riches. So here's what it means. Whatever strength Almighty God has, all in its glory, all in its wonder, that that person would have that kind of strength of God inside of them, and they would realize it, and with that strength, they would be strong no matter what they might go through. So that when someone might be attacking them, they could still say, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. They have that kind of strength. Well, it goes on to say here, through the Spirit. So you want to mark that. It's through the Spirit of God. We cannot do that ourselves. So the first thing we're praying about in this inner strength is that they would understand that they have all the strength according to all the strength of God, all of His glory, all the riches of His glory. But in addition to that, it says all through His Spirit. So your question now would be when you're praying for that person is, do they even have the Spirit of God inside of them? Do they even have the Spirit of God? And you that know the Word, you know that people will have the Spirit of God outside of them until they trust Christ as Savior and then the Spirit of God indwells them just like that the moment they trust Christ. So maybe your first prayer for that person is that they would come to faith alone in Jesus Christ so that they could then experience all of these truths here so they'll never be fully strengthened. So as I look at some of these people, in my opinion, this is where I'm at, I look at some of these people that I know have not trusted Christ and seen Him as the Lord of their life as a believer, and yet they have weathered tremendous affliction. If you need some help, just think about any military person who's gone through this military conflagration over the last 14 years and all that they've gone through, the unsaved ones, and how that many of them manned up and womaned up through all of that. And they did it without inner strength of the Holy Spirit. And so we might applaud them because they did it by their own little strength. And I get that, because many others haven't and made horrible mistakes. But I don't want to be a first-level thinker. While I want to applaud them for reaching in and pulling out whatever was inside of them to help them get there as an unsaved person. Here's my question. I wonder how much further they could have gone had they trusted Christ and had His strength. I mean, it's almost superhuman they could have been. And all of you who've trusted Christ as Savior, all of us, we will face challenges in this world. And I'm going to tell you that if you want to face those challenges head on, you need inner strength. And we have that inner strength. Me praying for those people will not give them more strength. Me praying for those people is to help them to understand if they've trusted Christ as Savior, the strength they have inwardly that's found, here it is, in the Spirit of God earlier on in the book of ephesians it said that same strength that the holy spirit has is a strength that took you who were dead raised you like jesus above and then set you in the heavenlies and so that you have infinitely watch this all the power necessary to overcome whatever demon that you might have in your life you have that inner strength in christ and so if your friend for whom you're praying is struggling right now you pray that he understands that he already's got all that power he just hasn't flipped the switch yet And you pray for that. But it goes on then. It says here, comes in your inner being. Strength in your inner being. So outwardly, your body may be ravaged with cancer, old age, other issues. I received a card this morning that was a Christmas card that was sent to me late. And this lady apologized for being late because she was in a horrible automobile accident. She was so just shattered, so to speak. And I'm thinking, here's a woman who's still praising the Lord because no matter how much the outward woman was perishing through outward situations, and I'm not here to judge why was she in that accident, bad choices, bad driving. I don't know what happened. All I know is this, this lady has it, but she was drawing from her inner person the strength that only came from Christ, which brings us to number four, and that is strength comes so that Christ may dwell in your house through faith. Look at the verse here. This is such a cool verse. The last part of it, it says here, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. And so my question is, is, have you placed your faith in Jesus Christ yet? I pray that you have. And if you have, then you have the capacity now to have this kind of strength so that you can move forward for the greatness of God. I love that. That word dwell actually means um, to um, live inside of you, but really live, not just exist. So it's not a theological thing. It's dwell. One person says it's to, um, I don't know, it has two words together. It means down home. And I got thinking, how, what does that mean? Down home. Jesus, down home in you. Down home. And I thought if I could make it as practical as I can, and this is for my friend Gary, okay? And those of you in Georgia that are here or southern. You will find sometimes as you're driving through these two-lane highways, they'll have this little greasy spoon restaurant and they'll have this hand painted sign and it'll say down home cooking have any of you ever seen signs like that maybe before down home cooking well what that means is you're not going to get all that other stuff you're just going to get some good old fashioned down home kick off your shoes sit down here and slobber up those grits kind of meal alright that's down home, amen <laughs> down home down home eating alright and that's what this basically means that Jesus isn't just in you like some kind of a theological light He is dwelling in you by faith. Now watch this. He comes in by faith. Now he dwells in you by faith because we're saved by grace and faith. And so now he can feel at home in you. Let me read something to you. It'll take me a minute, but don't wander. This is a great teaching.